0: masters of divinity i am your moderator jp i am here with father chuck hey father chuck hey what's happening dude i should say or, i mean is there a more punk rock way we can introduce this uh, I, don't... <laughs>
1: I mean we could try to do that like
0: boy whatever i don't know i just hey it's masters divinity you listen listening to us but you don't have to do whatever you want i don't run your life <laughs> turn it off who cares you know if you're listening you're just following a podcast. If, if you're listening to this you're just following a trend anyway.
1: <laughs> you better be listening to it on Spotify. Don't even try to be listening to it on your iPhone corporate <laughs> shills.
0: Yeah, that's better. That's better. <laughs> Matt is not with us this week um because yeah,
1: look, can, we, can we just say not for lack of trying?
0: not not for lack of trying. Uh he we we just 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 some scheduling kerfuffling happened. Um yes. <laughs> We got kerfuffled.
1: I just got to say, I mean, I, I, you haven't introduced topic, but I, I really, I, well, obviously, if, if, if people are listening to the podcast, they've seen what the topic is. But yeah. I, I feel like I'm a little, I'm a little sad—not sad, but you know—I feel like having Matt on this topic. I was really, really, really wanting to try to work our schedules in such a way that we could get Matt on this one. Yeah, because I think. I mean, he's a cop, man. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking punk rock,
0: like he's a I, cop. I, I and just a, a cop. just a few weeks ago, he told us he misses punk. So
1: right, like I want I want that. So maybe next week or next, you know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll be able to touch on some of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we can of do that with the time travel episode, right? Like he listened to, it and he's right. like, "I have things I need to say." Yeah. So, maybe we'll revisit this a little bit next week. Um, but having that, our topic uh, as selected by Father Truck was is going to be the uh, topic of of Christian Punk. And uh, I'm actually curious, Chuck. I I didn't ask you this. Usually we kind of pregame these things. But uh, Chuck, what made you think of uh, wanting to cover Christian Punk this week?
1: Well, a couple couple of things. One, I mean, we... A while back, we had developed our... You know, we had a little staff meeting Mm -hmm. and we developed a list of topics and things to cover. And one of the things that... I mentioned, and you, and you, and we, we both talked about, um, really being in one of the things we love talking about on this podcast is like what we call, you know, Christian curiosities, right? like these little, you know, like the prey of Jabez Bez and like, you know, raptures, like movies and stuff like that. Yeah. And I thought, you know, the, the Christian punk subculture would be something I, to me just so fascinating to talk about because it was a, it was a bit, it was a part of my life. Um, and it's just so weird because Christian and punk does not, on the surface, sound like it's something that should go together. But there's a lot with that. But I so that was part. That was that was the the, the initial you know suggestion of it. It's Christian curiosity thing. We'll just talk about you know basically it's an excuse to talk about bands that I listen to. Um, but as as like we've moved as as the months have rolled on and and, and whatnot. There's just the the thing that really got me was. um, well, we did. We did during Music Mayhem. We uh, we talked, uh, you know, we talked about Green Day, right? And there, and 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 Matt, as you mentioned, like talked about how he really, you know, made a miss punk music. And I thought, okay, that's that's this is a good thing to talk about. Let's talk about some punk, you know, because you have to talk about punk, and we talk about Christian punk. So right. I that'd be a good idea. And then the the big one for me, JP, and I is that the other day um a few months back i guess i met more than the other day it was it was about a month month two months ago i was at um subculture coffee in west downtown west palm beach um give a little shout out to our good friend sean scott Woo-hoo. um the purveyor and owner of, of of subculture coffee delicious delicious wonderful locally or uh, divi- uh, whatever it's great coffee um independently owned whatever that's our little shill for, yeah for, when are for, they gonna for, have for Punk and tacos by the way Oh yeah, yeah, the hip hop tacos, but no punk and tacos. <laughs> I guess that you go to Cross Street Respectables for that. Yeah, <laughs> you just take your taco and go across Street Respectables. Yeah, or it's punk
0: and PBR.
1: Yeah, I don't know. What what, what food would go with punk? Anyway,
0: um, <laughs> whatever you find in the so, dumpster. <laughs> yeah,
1: yes, half eaten like McDonald's hash brown. Um, but no, so so I met Subculture Coffee. Um, And I had been up at up at our college, our our, our alma mater, Palm Beach Atlantic, doing a a service because as listeners know, I am an Episcopal priest. So I'm in my my full my full garb, my black dress, um, the whole thing, um, getting coffee. And I happened upon John, John Post. I happened upon Professor David Afee. Okay, creative writing uh, teacher. Yes. And so very, very good man. Um, he's got a new book coming out, okay. uh, some other things. But anyway, so we got to chatting. And in our, in the course of our conversation, he said to me, he says, well, Chuck, you've become the man. Hmm. And I thought, well, I had to really sit with this for a bit. And, it's that, and that's really the impetus of this yeah. is for me to actually have a conversation around whether or not, JP, we've become the man.
0: Um, I, I definitely, I definitely am a capitalist right now.
1: Right, I mean you're you're, you're Farmer John. I, you're, yeah.
0: mm-hmm. you know, you're. <laughs> you don't know, call you're... me
1: that.
0: <laughs> I don't want that to be my podcast persona. Please God.
1: So Farmer John is working on the farm, growing tomatoes, working at the, you know, going to the co-op. Um, <laughs> Not going to the co-op. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you got you're at the you're the at market. the farmers market. The market, yeah. You know, you're, I mean, it really, it's a very hipster like bohemian lifestyle. You're living here, JP, man. I um, do not feel hipster at all. <laughs> Hipsters don't work this hard. Your are bespoke artisanal, uh, uh, tomatoes that you're selling growing <laughs> and selling. But no, I, so that's part of it was that question, because let me, I'll, I'll give a little background to you and to the listeners and I'd be curious to hear yours as well, JP, but, okay. um, so when I was probably about like 13, 14 years old, um, I, I I got into rock music. Now, listeners are going to laugh because the first real rock record that I ever listened to and purchased of my own volition. Now, the first CD, I will say the first CDs that I ever purchased of my own volition, JP, there mm-hmm. were three. All right. We, I don't know if we were talking about this, but the first three CDs I ever in my life purchased were Weird Al Yankovic's The Food Album. Nice. Weird Al Yankovic's Alapalooza. Michael Jackson's history. Um, awesome. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, choice. but when I, um, um, one day I was, I was on, I was on seventh grade. I was on a date with a girl for, with a girl um, and we happened upon the Christian bookstore and I heard billowing from the speakers, a sound that I knew I, I had to listen to more of. And it was rock music. It was, it was real rock music. Mm-hmm. It just so happened to be DC Talks Jesus Freak. Um, but that was how, and then I also got Newsboys, Take Me to Your Leader, and that is how I got into listening to rock music. Around that time, um, I had been going to an ice skating rink, and uh, they would play Green Day's Basket Case, and I was obsessed with the song. Nice. Being, you know, as I've mentioned a few, a few times on the podcast, um, growing up the environment I grew up in, there was no way my mother was letting me purchase Green Day's Dookie. So um, I was really looking for uh, looking for something equivalent to that. So I'd gone to Long's Christian Bookstore in Orlando, which is a very large Christian bookstore that's no longer there. And one of the cool things about Christian bookstores, you remember, JP, I'm sure, is that they allow you to listen to CDs before you purchase them. Oh, yeah. It was like kiosk yeah.
0: city of those places, man.
1: Yeah, dude, which I, I never understood why other music stores didn't do that because I thought it you know it was it was great. Yeah. Um, but so I was walking through and I kept seeing this record, this little cartoon character on the record. and I was very interested. Well, I was, I decided to, I as I was listening to some different things, there was a compilation of um, covers of Petra songs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, there was a well, on that off of that was, a was a jars of clay song. that was very popular called rose colored stained glass windows, but or, um, anyway, um, so I'm like going through that, listening to the track list. And, the band that I had seen this album cover of around uh, that had intrigued me was a band called MXPX. Mm -hmm. And they happened to have a song on this album. So I was like, Oh, neat. So I listened to it. They covered Petra's, I could be friends with you. And Mike Herrera, the lead singer MXPX, his vocals sounded an awful lot like uh, Billy Joe Armstrong's vocals on green day. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this sounds like green day, but it's Christian. I can buy it, so I purchased an MXPX album. It it turned out to be um, their album on the cover, which is a bunch of covers of um, a few um, secular songs, which is pretty funny. But um, from that point forward, JP punk music was my life. Um, Also around that time, I had started skateboarding. Yeah, Um, and like it was that became my identity. I I I went to the mall and I I bought I bought my Jinkos. I bought my big old (laughs) Jinkos. Nice. Um, I, you know, I would wear, I, I had lots of, um, ball bearing necklaces and bracelets <laughs> and I, you know, spiky ish hair actually my hair was longer at that time. Um, later on, I got it short and spiked, but, um, you know, I bought my airwalks cause that's what you wore at the time. Oh, and then yeah. eventually I got into like legit skate shoes, like from hookups and from, um, etnies and others. But like I was a skater punk kid, man. And, and Christian and like very, very Christian. And so, like, I got introduced to this world and, like, uh, even in preparing preparing for this episode, I was going back and trying to find some old things. And, like, I remember when I bought – when I would buy MXPX albums, and so they are from Tooth & Nail Records. If in, in any Christian of a certain type and, uh, and time knows about Tooth & Nail Records in the early 90s, we're talking 1994, 1996 Tooth & Nail Records. It's, like, the peak of their existence. And they would have these little catalog – they would have this catalog inside of each of their CDs showing their other – their other bands and kind of give a little bit description of it. And there were like, there was like images of like a band called the blamed and like the crucified and all these other like older punk rock groups. And these are guys covered in tattoos and just like, they looked like skater kids. Like they looked like, you know, and, 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 and like MXPX was, I, I, I knew they were close to my age. I didn't realize at the time, JP, mm-hmm. when they recorded poke Asha, their first album, they were, they were like 15, 16 years old. Wow. On that album, um, they kind of a big deal back it. then. We
0: should probably let her let her <laughs> Huh? Kind of a big deal back then. Yeah, yeah. Today, and like so, you know, anyone can cut an album and stuff. But like back then, well, that's that was, true. Yeah, it's a a
1: big deal that yeah that this that this group of skater punk kids that had a album that yeah. sold. Uh, Poconacci's sold. By the way, I was reading, there's a great book on Christian music that I, I know Matt's read and um, um, and I've read several times called Body Piercing Saved My Life and it's on the world of Christian rock. And they talk about MXPX and MXPX is responsible for bringing tooth and nail to like that record label into like a main, like into a, some recognition. Um, Poconacci, MXPX's first record sold um, over a hundred thousand copies. Wow, um, which huge. Is, which is huge for a tiny little Christian independent label. Um, but that label was huge for this whole world because it let me, you know, here I was growing up, living in a double wide trailer, uh, going to very Baptist environment, very Baptist school. Um, I was really into skateboarding. I, you know, I wasn't. I, 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 I would sneak. I would sneak opportunities to watch MTV when my mom was like at work or like taking a nap or something. That, this was all like kind of off limits to me. And suddenly, I had kind of a peek behind the curtain. There was this world of Christians right. that were into this stuff. And I was like, that was my identity. But the thing is, JP, is I was about the only one in my school environment that was into this stuff. Nobody else was. Everyone was listening to, like, pop radio, mainstream stuff. So, like, I literally became, like, a punk kid in my Baptist upbringing. Mm-hmm. But, like, but I never really, like, I didn't, like, lose my faith. And I didn't, like, question my faith or whatever. But I definitely got into that kind of, like you know, hate the popular kids, counter mainstream, you know, I want to be an individual kind of thing Right um, from it. And so I think it's just, it's just, it's such a weird thing that there can be a thing like Christian punk
0: and that I think it makes sense. You think it makes sense? What do you mean by that? Yes. Well, because,
1: um, yeah. So like, and so it was like punk is sort of punk's whole thing is like, going against the mainstream and the status quo and basically saying that like, you know, it's either, it's either anarchy or some type of communist kind of way of thinking, but you know, it's, but it's more of like an, a disorder. egalitarian, yeah, disorder, but, Honest. but, you know, but sort of disorder so that within that disorder, you find your own order, mm-hmm. right? It's like traditionally sort of like a radical individualism, anarchy kind of break down the system, break down the hierarchies yeah, kind of it's, thing. It's sort of a,
0: a aggression against systems.
1: Right. And which the irony of it is, is that it is its own system in a sense, because yeah. all the punk kids dress the same. And like, yeah, so, I mean, it you know, hierarchies are hierarchies. That's it's what kind we of do. the message I mean, the, the, the that, Bishop of Atlanta. Sorry.
0: Uh, oh, go ahead. It's, it's kind of the message of that movie, SLC Punk, right? With Matthew Willard in it. You know, I've actually not seen that movie. Oh, really? I yeah. feel like you might like that. You should try to probably get it. I, I I don't want to ruin it, but that's kind of the the message they sort of come about is that maybe that all punks are actually posers. Oh, interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. The um, I I the the bishop of Atlanta or the former bishop of Atlanta. I heard him, uh, Episcopal bishop of Atlanta. He once said, um, in a in a seminar that I was in, he said, you know, hierarchies are honest. Like we have to have them because he's like, he's like, if we were to if we were to say like we're going to make, like, we're going to do away with hierarchies. The first thing we would do is create like a committee on how to take apart the hierarchy. Like, it's just yeah. what we do. Um, and, um, he said, so, you know, so anyway, that's, that's kind of beside the point, but like that whole idea of sort of being like against the world, like that's sort of the punk rock mindset is like the rest of the world is sort of full of sheep mm-hmm. of people who just sort of go with a flow And this is going to be – we're going to be oppositional and confrontational within our oppositional thing. We're going to do things that piss off mainstream culture as a way to expose, like, the hypocrisy and shallowness and all this stuff. I'm getting chills. Sorry. So that fits with a certain segment of Christianity, man. Like – you know, the world is against us, you know, we've got to be against the world, we've got a better, different way of being, you know, of living and, and, and being, and this whole idea of an alternative society and, you know, and all of that, like, it just, there's a, there is a connection, I think, there. And so it, it weirdly makes sense. But I think there's two ways in which this manifests. On one hand, I think we saw overwhelmingly a very shallow version of it, where, for some for, – particularly in the later 90s, the idea of like Christian punk sort of followed the pop punk trend that was very common in music. Because like, you remember that, dude, like the late 90s, early 2000s? Like everyone was a freaking pop punk band. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that was really – you know they just did that but talked about Jesus
0: mm-hmm.
1: a little bit in their songs. I mean a good example maybe is like a band like Reliant K. Right. Yeah. Where it was like – it was a sound rather than an identity – But, like, going back and listening to MXPX and stuff, I I was really surprised recently about how—and then even some ska bands like Five Iron Frenzy and stuff—I was really surprised at how there is, like, a very, like, like a very deep sense of this sort of contrarian against the mainstream mindset. And it's not like—it's not like, you know, there's Jesus-y elements in it, but it's not like— exclusively Jesus-y stuff. And so I just—it I, just—it is it, it it kind of amazing to me that, one, that it was even there and allowed in that world, mm-hmm. um, but the other is—which and which, which I think we should talk about in a minute—the um, idea that a lot of evangelical Christianity historically— had been sort of radical separation of church and state to where like there was huge distrust of the government huge distrust of 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 the the state system right. where evangelical Christians have become part of the moral majority now and like they are very patriotic and it seems <laughs> like traditionally that would not have been the case yeah
0: oh the own, um, sort of owning patriotism and
1: Whatever. Yeah, which I mean, I just sort of growing up, I thought that was strange because to me, like my church people, they I guess because Bill Clinton was president, we were not patriotic, you know, because it was Democrat in the White House or whatever. But um, but anyway, I just it, it's it's it was just it's interesting to see that this segment existed and was consistent with a particular worldview that I think we don't have anymore. And what worldview is that? The idea that like that Christians that Christians would be would be actually like pretty like vocally against the world to use a, a very evangelical term. They, I mean, like you well, still like, hear
0: in, that systems and institute and institutions.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um. And like you know, and, instead of like their own alternatives or whatever. Yeah.
0: Um. But well, you know, yeah. there's um. Interesting you say it because I think like. That's sort of the tragic thing about a movement, I think, or a revolution, is that it doesn't stay a revolution or a movement. It will eventually become like an institution or a system in itself. Because usually, like, you know, anarchy is supposed to be sort of like the transitional phase between, like, two governments or two, you know, whatever's in power. It's that, it's that right. moment where there, there is nothing in power. and But the thing is that that moment is just a moment. It doesn't last you know, it doesn't stay the same. It either grows into something else, or, or just kind of dissipates, and something takes its place. And I think, like, you know, there was a time. I think when, when you know, when when Christianity, and you know this because you 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 know Christian history, there was a time when Christianity was very small and it was very anti-institution because it was on the fringe. They were meeting underground, um, and they were oppressed. Um, but then, you know, there's this. Uh, <laughs> You've seen The Crow, right, Brendan Lee, the Brendan Lee movie? No. Really? Really. Oh, my goodness, Chuck. Uh, I've got to learn you, buddy. Um, I know. We're going to have a movie mayhem, and it's just me going to tell you which movies to watch. That's. Actually, I'd be actually pretty on board with that. <laughs> uh, but there's this, there's this great speech in The Crow where the villain, uh, his name is Top Dollar, he's had this crime syndicate, and... The whole point of it the movie's taking place on on Devil's Night in Detroit. And Devil's Night is, is a night when um sort of infamously the night before Halloween when all the criminals and thugs come out and like just just set the whole city on fire. And it's taking place on that holiday in this movie and this guy who's head of this criminal syndicate is talking about how he how it's become something else completely now this Devil's Night idea. That he's like, when I was a kid, you know, we would just set every house on fire, every building on fire, anything we found, we just burned it. Now we have Devil's Night greeting cards, uh, and he talks about how the idea of becoming the institution, and that's that's just the the natural evolution of things. And I feel like that the sad thing about punk uh, and Christianity, maybe depending on your view. That, it's just gonna evolve. A movement evolves because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to take over something and replace it. And Right. That's that's essentially I mean if you ask me, I think the reason why Christianity isn't so anti institution is because I mean it's it's taken over the Western world. Like the, the Christians won. <laughs> like that's that's my yeah. opinion. I think Christianity won.
1: Yeah, I mean there and there's truth to that, I think um well, there's a couple of things to talk about um, in, in regard to that. One is, um, so my buddy—so my my former youth pastor um, was having a conversation with some friends of mine from the church I grew up in, and he was saying something to the effect of, like, it was hard for him to understand that I became Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. He said, because Chuck was always so, like, against the flow, you know, and again, punk rock, you know, yeah. kind of rebellious, straight kind of person— He's like, he was so like countercultural and all that. And it's like, it's just sort of him becoming Episcopalian sort of feels like the opposite direction. And then one of my friends said, well, you know, you're, you're not really thinking about it from his perspective. If you think about it from his perspective, being Episcopalian is like the most rebellious thing he can do. <laughs> um, that makes and, sense, yeah. And like, um, which I, I, it's true. I mean, yeah. it, you know, the idea that like. I had, I had grown up in a church where everything was very, like, individualized and do-it-yourself and, like, you know, it was very casual, comfortable. It was very, like, you know, it was, it was against, you know, traditions and liturgy and bishops and all of that. So, you know, so I grew up in this particular environment with a lot of very sort of, like, what we might call low church, you know, but it was supposed to be, like, it was supposed to be, like, anti-establishment sort of Christianity where it's, like— you know, everybody's kind of doing it themselves, Christianity, you know, we're just in this together, like the, just like the disciples in the early days or whatever, very much against hierarchies and all that stuff, sort to, to an extent. Um, but then I, you know, so, so the most rebellious thing that I could do was to go to a church made out of stone with Gothic arches and stained glass windows and vestments and candles and singing and, you know, and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking um, if they're mystified by where you are now, think of how mystified that would be if you became like, you know, like a Baptist – Pastor, like you would, you know, playing acoustic guitar up and stuff, and like that would have been expected of. Me. <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Um, that kind of stuff would have been expected of me. Um, to, to to go this route was for me. I mean, it was very it was rebellious against the culture. There's an element of it that that the Episcopal Church attracted me because it was so unlike anything I grew up with, and sort of fit into the the mindset that attracted me to punk rock and skateboarding and all that stuff as a kid, um, and And so I think about how, yes, the church is institutionalized. Yes, the church has won in Western civilization. But the kind of Christianity that has won is a very shallow Christianity. Um, And that's the kind of Christianity that upset people like um, St. Anthony, the hermit of Egypt, who after Constantine, back in, you know, the three, four hundreds, back when Constantine converted the Roman Empire to the Christian faith, Um, there are these Christians who looked at it and said, you know, Hey, we used to be being killed for this stuff. And now like, you know, people are sort of like, it's just sort of what they do on on Sundays. And then they go about the rest of their lives. It's just very shallow and it doesn't mean mean anything. And so he went out into the desert to become a hermit and then people followed him and he created Christian monasticism in response to that because, and so he wanted to go against the ways of the world and that monastic tradition, of course, you've recently kind of somewhat tapped into but you didn't know about it i don't think but that's um, that death to the world um, punk sign yeah uh, comes out of russian orthodox monasticism which has its connections to saint uh, st um, anthony the hermit and so there are these ideas of like dying to the world the idea of being you know dead to the world and doing our own thing i mean that's a thread throughout christianity and it sometimes manifests itself in the in the hierarchies and traditions of the church, because, I mean, I think about, like, where I'm at right now, and, like, yes, 70, 75% of the population in America identifies as some form of Christian, mm-hmm. but how many Christians actually are aware of their traditions? How many Christians actually shape their lives around their religion and live as though this stuff is true? How many Christians, you know, observe the festivals and feasts and and look at this as their own culture? Not too many, um, and so I, you know, I very much see that even though I, I'm part of a church with a hierarchy with bishops and all and, and all of that stuff that I that I'm a part of, it's very contrary to the mainstream status quo view of the world, and I think it's actually a vision of the world that's better than what we see in other places, and so. And so it's an alternative society. It's an it's a, it's an alternative culture. Um, it's an alternative lifestyle, to use that old word. Um, and so I I don't know. I, so I see that's where I see my connections with this where with the sort of the Christian punk mindset um, and why I think it works and why I think it still can continue. It might not have the aesthetics of punk, and I think that's another piece to talk about. Has punk just become an aesthetic, rather than? Something like you know, and I guess maybe that's a good question. What the what the heck is punk?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I think even you know, you could ask like a hundred punk performers, and they'd all have different definitions. But you know, I, I think when you really kind of come down to it, and I was trying to, you know, Matt and I were trying to talk about this in our Green Day episode, and I sort of boil it down to attitude, um, okay. like just raw. Attitude. Like they're like, you know, metal is like all aggression. and While there is aggression in punk, but it, it, it's it's a bit more like what it onto just being like an attitude. Like <laughs> you know, like uh Billy Joe yeah. Armstrong, um, he kind of put it I, I read this quote a few days ago where he said, like, if you asked if someone on the street asked me what is punk, I would tip over a trash can and I would say that is punk. And if that person tipped over a trash can, he says, is "That punk." I would say, "No, that's trendy." Right? <laughs> like to me, like that—that that is sort of like what, what what punk is. It's just sort of like uh, I don't know. It's all about it's all about attitude to me, and it's all it's sort of a in your face attitude, and, and that's why like why you know when I think of Christian punk, I just don't think they they go together very well because when I think of you know there are definitely. S- s- subsets of christians who are who who think of christianity as very neat and very tidy right i think of punk i think of of like just just not being neat and tidy at all tearing it up burning it down make it dirty i'm with you on this because
1: i mean i was you know i was going to a church in palm beach florida when i was in college Mm -hmm. you know bethesda by the sea is a very nice beautiful church when you walk in before the service on sundays people are very quiet they're in their pews Um, and it's, you know, it's a very proper kind of, you know, white upper class kind of environment. And, and that's, and there are a lot of people who sort of have, have bought into this idea that that's what Christianity is supposed to be, where things are quiet and where things are, again, very neat and orderly and all of that. Um, and I bought into that until I went to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And when I went to Jerusalem, I learned that, uh, particularly among the Orthodox Christians, it is not neat. It is not nice. It is kind of a controlled chaos. Um, people yeah. are coming in and out of the service the entire time. Um, nobody. There are no pews. Everyone's standing. Yeah. Um, the churches are old. They're covered in soot. There's icons and relics and furniture and just junk everywhere. And it just it's it, there's it, there's an element of controlled chaos to a lot of it. And. And it felt the most real to me mm-hmm. than almost any church environment I've ever been in. And so I came back realizing, yeah, this whole myth of what the church is in the West is wrong. And um, you know, at that time I was working at a church in DC called Church of the Epiphany, where most of our congregation's homeless. And I as I would look around, I realized I'm like, Yeah, this is more real than Than like some of the churches I go to in suburban areas where, you know, again, it's all like calm, collected and proper and nice and quiet. And the service is precisely at an hour and, you know, um, you know, you'd sort of get in, get out, do your thing. Um, The idea of having, you know, people snoring in the middle of the service, having, you know, I mean, you know, they're hungry people just looking for food that are at church. I mean, it, 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 to me, to me, that feels more holy than, you know, than, you know, I, I actually prefer to go into an old musty church that's fallen apart than like a really pristine, modern mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like there's just something to me about that, that feels more holy. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think like real Christianity like really true. It's messy. I mean, you know, you think about like my, you know, my line of work, the moments that I'm having to, the, the moments where I'm having my most intense like moments about God with people are in moments where people are dying, and mm. you know, or, 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 you know, someone's marriage is falling apart, or um, they're they age in their family, or, or they've had a tragedy or something. You know, so it's these really messy, ugly moments. Um, and those are the moments that feel the most holy and the most, you know, whatever. And so this idea that it's somehow that we've turned it into. I mean I'm gonna blame Joel Osteen, really, for people like <laughs> people like him who've turned it into this sort of like self-help, you've got it all together, kind yeah. of motivational speaking, you know I could kind of see how that. to have your best life now kind of crap. I mean televangelism
0: um, in general, because you know you right. you're you're on TV, so you, you gotta dress your best and look your best to put up on that all that makeup and do, do up your hair.
1: Right. I mean that I mean that all has its connections in, you know, suburban, waspy you know environments i mean you, you know the the church used to largely be urban man and you know these you know the, the, it was it, they 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 worked and lived among the slums among the poor among you know the hungry and the destitute and we 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 ran away from that to get into these quiet neighborhoods and these quiet environments and so we can have our nice pleasant church where everybody looks the way we want them to look and I think it's sad. I think I think when you get right down to it, there is, I don't know if I'm going to say a punk rock attitude to it, but it's definitely messy. Yeah. And I don't know that it's necessarily like trying to like mess things up. I don't know. You know, I mean, you know what's, uh, you know, to, to Billy, John, Billy Joe Armstrong's point, if kicking over a trash can for him is punk, then what is making a whip and chasing money chasers out of the temple all about? I mean, that's yeah. a. You guys gonna be a pretty punk rock, punk rock moment on Jesus's part, right? Yeah, flipping over tables, yelling. You know, Clint cleansing the church out of uh, out of these people who have turned it into a marketplace. I mean, come <laughs> on, man.
0: The anti anti capitalist attitude, yeah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> uh, throwing throwing down the proletariat with the proletariat, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, down with the man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I, I I guess there there have been a lot of scholars who said like Jesus is a is a socialist. And, And and it's it's like I said, those early days are more punk rock, you know, because they're on the fringe. And when you're on the fringe, you got to be like, you kind of have to be outrageous, right? Like you because you're you're taking a lot of risks and you're you're um, trying new things. And um, you know, today, you you know, you're you're that whole Sunday best style church is because we don't have to take risks anymore. Like they've already paved the way they've already blazed the trail. So I could just dress up in my suit and go to church and sit in my pew and, you know, whatever. Yeah. I I mean, any sense? Am I rambling?
1: (laughs) No, no. I mean, it it makes a degree of sense. I mean, at the same time, I I mean, I want to be, I want to be careful of uh, around cultural differences, because like in black communities, the idea of going to church and dressing your best has a whole different connotation. You know, that was for the longest time. These were, you know, particularly of particularly, I mean, you see this definitely a lot more of African-Americans of a certain generation um, because church was the one time that they got to be that, you know, these were people who get to be, they were just, you know, Mr. Jones, you know, but then they had, you know, rather than boy, yeah.
0: Well, I you mean, know, well, then maybe it's and like- so it was it was rebellious
1: and countercultural for that. You know, it was it, it, you know, it, 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 it was kind of a middle finger to the white man to say, like, mm-hmm. look at me. I have dignity and I'm going to give my best to the Lord because, you know, because you try to take everything else from me. And so, I mean, you know, it's and I guess I guess what I'm trying to get at, JP, is that to me, what we call punk. I think. It I think the actual the sentiment behind the word is bigger than the term, because I think the term itself has become associated with um, angry white kids in the suburbs who want to stick safety pins in their plaid pants. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I really think that it's it has just boiled down to an aesthetic um, anymore. Yeah,
0: and and you know I've this might. We might go in a little bit of direction. I might shift gears by bringing this up. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I get too off the rails. I could bring it back. That's fine. But you are talking about how the aesthetic has sort of has sort of replaced the the attitude, right? And I I, I agree with that because I think and you know there's that there's that saying punk rock is, isn't dead. Um, but I, I think it kind of is because I think the punk rock attitude has of disappeared. You
1: mean punk's not dead, JP? Punk's, yeah, punk's not dead. Whatever. You, you did uh, it like very like grammatically. Punk rock is not dead. I <laughs> mean uh, P-U-N-X. It
0: it yeah. OK. That's N-O-T-D-E-D. N-O-T-D-E-D. Well, now you all know how punk rock I am. Not at all. <laughs> but
1: uh, arguably. Which makes JP. it really punk.
0: That was punk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the malleability of punk, by the way. we got to get into that later. Uh, yes. But I do see the attitude going away because here's the thing. And I'm afraid to say it because even though we don't have a whole lot of listeners, um, there is a sort of a national attitude about it. And, and I and I know what I'm going to say is probably going to be pretty controversial. But what Cra- what, what Kathy Griffin did um, <laughs> with her photo shoot with, with uh, allegedly Donald Trump's uh, uh, head, Um, that is punk rock. Like, there is a, there is a time when someone would be like, would see, would see something like that and say, yes, that is punk rock. Uh, and there would be a subset of people being like, yes, piss them off. And like, once you've seen all these commentators, you know, being outraged by it, there there used to be people that would be like, I'm so glad these people are outraged by this thing that Kathy Griffin is doing. Um... But yeah. now, like there is an overly, people overly apologizing for it. on on both sides. Even Kathy Griffin apologized for it. Uh, and other comedians. I mean, I, I watched I watched Bill Maher's show, and even he was like, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think it was right. He should have done that. That yeah, that, I mean that, that's punk rock.
1: We're gonna get in trouble if we keep talking about <laughs> this.
0: But <laughs> well, I don't want us to get I, too topical. But that's what I'm trying to say is that why I think the the attitude is kind of gone because that yeah. is to me that is punk attitude. Well, I I think and we back don't like, to like it anymore.
1: Well, I think back to the kids that, I mean, people that I, you know, that these, these skater kids that I, that I would, um, in my youth group who I wound up teaching to surf, um, when I was a kid, when I was younger in Orlando, they, you know, they were really fascinated, you know, learning about things like the surf Nazis. I don't if you know anything about surf Nazis. So Nazis at surf. surf. So no. So the whole surf Nazi thing was a thing in like the 50, like late fifties, early sixties. Um, where surfers would be, they, they called them surf Nazis cause they would be wearing like German officers coats and like with like swastikas and stuff on them. And they would put swastikas on their surfboards and whatnot. And they didn't know what it meant. Really? The thing was, is that these guys were dirt poor and the cheapest coats and stuff they could buy for the winter, they would buy at army surplus and they were like, buy like bargain basement, German officers uniforms that had been like confiscated during world war II, So, <laughs> funny. so they would wear these things and they said that, you know, their dad's generation and grandpa, you know, dad's generation would get mad at them for wearing them. And so it was just like, Oh, it pissed them off. Well, of course we're going to wear them more often. So they would like get like full, like spiked helmet uniforms <laughs> and like go down to the beach and screw around and just make people mad. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's troll behavior in a way, but um, but I mean, as they said, you know, later on, we learned what that symbol represented. We, 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 we moved away from that because that wasn't what we were about, but right. it was, you know, but they recognized it's, it made, it made people mad. It made the establishment mad. And, you know, that's what teenagers are always going to be interested in is sort of, you know, being, is sort of confronting their parents' generation, you know, turning, turning a, you know, turning a thing on them and saying like, you know, and, and it's constant because, you know, their parents did stuff that may, are, you know, that made their grandparents mad, and so on and so forth. It's it's always been a thing. But like, like um, I remember years ago, um, and this was another one of the punk kids that I that I used to know growing up was really fascinated with. He was really into. Um, I, I got I got at least one one guy into Brian Setzer, yeah. um, and uh, we watched because I watched this interview with Brian Setzer and um you know he had the Brian sitzer orchestra
0: yeah that's a swing it's um, a swing group right that uh, yeah it was a swing group big, prior big to band.
1: that yeah prior to that he was part of a rockabilly group in the 80s called um um called stray cats um and uh i read the story about I listened to this interview with him and he talked about how when it was the 70s He's like, you know, everyone in the 70s is wearing like corduroy, you know, bell bottoms, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, I went to the five and diver to the Goodwill or whatever. I guess a Goodwill. He's like, I went to a Goodwill and I saw a baggy suit. He said, so like I, he says, I, you know, so that's what I did. I bought a baggy suit and, you know, he says, I did like a pompadour with my hair. And <laughs> that's how I started dressing at school in high school in the 70s. Because awesome. he was, you know, and, and that that is punk rock, right? I mean, yeah. that's. You know that's the that's the kind of thing um, that we're talking about here. Is it's it it, it it's going against it's it, it, it's more innocence more innocent aspect. It's like it's just going against what everyone else is doing. Right. It's finding your own way. Mm-hmm. Um, which of course the '90s co-opted to death. Right. Like individuality was the cry of the
0: '90s. Yeah, and plus and you also got the goth- the two are the ones,
1: like, i an individual.
0: In a way, it also kind of evolved in sort of that, in sort of the ironic humor that became really popular in the 2000s.
1: Yeah, I, I think, getting, getting to the Kathy Griffin, the Griffin thing, I think pro- if we got really down to it, I think what upset people more than than the photo mm-hmm. was that it was Kathy Griffin. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. You know, like, if, if Lady Gaga had done that, I don't think anybody would have they would that was sort of expected, right?
0: Um uh, I don't think so. I think you, actually, uh, you know, that's get that's giving that's giving the right too much credit. <laughs> I don't think so think at so. all. And and the thing is is they did
1: exactly that kind of stuff to Obama.
0: Oh, uh, know, And you know, that's and and you know, that's the the rhetoric now, which is like, well, if this happened to Obama, you would be mad too. I'm like, yeah, I would be mad, and I was mad when it was happening.
1: And I I guess like that's I guess part of the thing that's that's important to talk about. Is whether and I know you said we want to talk about the malleability of punk, and I think that's a, that's an important thing. But it's like
0: just pissing off people that only goes so far. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's it's kind of. I mean, but like I kind of feel like the whole Trump thing. I think a lot of people have 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 taken it as like a punk rock thing.
1: Like, what do you mean? Like that he is president is a punk rock thing?
0: Yeah. Like like the the trolling scene. You know, and, and him sort of taking the presidency, well, I think a lot of people look at that sort of like a punk rock thing.
1: Well, you know, I, honestly, I'm going to agree with that. And I think this is worth this is worth talking about because, I mean, that's what populism is. Populism mm-hmm. is 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 overthrowing an established an establishment of sorts and sort of breaking the system so that a new system and a better system be put in place. I mean, as weird as it is that people who are supporters of Bernie Sanders jumped over to Trump. It makes a certain degree of sense because both men were populists, yeah, and 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 so even though economic philosophies and social philosophies and other things were radically different, if the one thing you're interested in is somebody who's going to come in and try to break the system, then it doesn't matter who the person is. You you look for the one who's actually going to who, who has a good shot of doing it, and I can tell. Actually, I'm not going to be honest. I I I will sympathize with the right on this one that in, in a way I can see why it is punk rock. I mean, because uh, I'll fly my colors on this. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I, I think by now, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that I'm not, I w- I'm not a right, I'm not a very right leaning person. Right. Um, but that being said, the left has just gotten insufferable in the past several years. And, you know, with like, with like trigger warnings and like all of that stuff and i mean i get there's a fair conversation to have with all that stuff i understand that but i can see why when that becomes a sort of established thing that a more liberal mindset is sort of the popular mainstream thing that taking on a that that it feels sort of rebellious and thrilling to be a supporter of trump Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. someone
1: like Donald Trump, and I can so I can see it, and you know what? And I can't blame. I guess that's the thing is I can't blame people for that, because it's it, it, it can
0: it can be frustrating. Like yeah. it can really be frustrating. It can be, and I, I see it too because that's when I was a conservative. That's what I was doing. Like, uh, you know, people don't really remember because you know we were because we we're older millennials. You know, in the nineties it's not that different from what's kind of happening now. The nineties is when like PC started to become like, this is when it first started, you know? Yeah. And, um, as a young man, I was afraid that these, uh, PC liberals were going to do things like take away my video games or take away mm-hmm. my, my horror movies. And it's like, Oh, the conservatives are, are you know, if you're a Republican or conservative, that means you're against that kind of censorship and that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's that's, that's right. why because- I started to identify as that.
1: Right, because we have a tendency we have a tendency to think that it's the right that's all about that. But it was Tipper Gore yeah, I know. who led the inquiries, you know, with the government that, you know, they put Prince on the stand because Prince because, <laughs> And D Snyder. And D Snider about the content of their music and whatnot. And, you know, I, I I will say as a parent I appreciate these things now. Like I get yeah, as a parent I appreciate not not the censorship type stuff, but like you know, at least some kind of a label or something, giving me a heads up. Yeah. You know, like as a parent, I kind of get it and I kind of appreciate it. But, um, but yeah, like when you're a kid and you're hearing people talk, like I'll tell one. I'll tell you this. This is kind of how I've changed. We'll tell this story. I mean, I remember after Columbine, everybody blaming video games, right? Yeah, you yeah. know, for, for 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 inspiring these kids to shoot up, you know, their schools. And that video games are the problem. And I was on the forefront. Of, video games are the problem, man. It's not video games. Video games aren't bad. I, I got to be honest with you, man. Uh, looking back on it, I can't – I don't know that I can't say that the media that we consume, particularly if you're like mentally unstable, does not have a factor in that. I mean I just got to be honest. Um, but I, w- I would debate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean and we probably could. Some, we, probably, we probably should on this podcast at some point. It might be a fun yeah. episode to do. But – Let's put a pin in that. Yeah, put a pin in that. But I, but I think that, um, but I do think that. But, but getting back to the point, like when I was, when you, when when you and I were the same age, uh, when we were still the same age, when we were both, you know, teenagers at that same time frame, I shared completely with you that fear that, like, not a fear, but it was just like, you know, they're going to come and, you know, they, they, because because a handful of people screwed up with something. That I love. That means that the thing that I love now is suspect.
0: Oh yeah, I remember I was outraged, outraged because I had heard that because of Columbine, Wes Craven was thinking of not of uh, not adding any blood to Scream Three. That turned out to not be true at all. But yeah, it was like I w- I definitely when I heard that, I was like oh PC leftists you know. Right, right, right,
1: right. I mean, yeah, same kind of thing with um um. You know, like I I went through a phase where I wore a lot of black, not like now where I wear black professionally, but like I wore a lot of black, (laughs) listen to the listen to the cure, that kind of thing. And I had I mean, there were a few people at my school who would associate that with like, oh, he's probably going to come and shoot the school up because he wears
0: black. I know. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Like when I was uh, when Columbine happened, we need to have a Columbine episode, by the way.
1: We really should. We should probably do it on the anniversary of Columbine. It's on um, April twentieth. Yeah. Um, anyway,
0: um, when I was in public school, I was I was in public school when Columbine happened, and it was a fairly large one. It was, a, it was Cypress Creek in Orlando, by the way, Chuck. You know if you're yeah. Here. Uh, and um, the kids I hung out with were, I don't want to call them outcasts because it was actually a pretty large group of kids. You, you can't really hang out the, this large number of kids and call yourself an outcast, really. But they were sort of misfitty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mostly white, but a little bit more on the nerdy, you know, punk metal goth side, you know. Right. Um, And (laughs) on a daily basis after Columbine, it was like it was actually that group of kids that were um, gotten into a lot of trouble with the administration because of how they dressed. Because, you know, most of these kids I hung out with wore combat boots. And the way you wear combat boots is you, you tuck your jeans into them. Right. And there was one day where, where the administration, like, we all hung out as a group. Like, you, you see just like, a bunch of nerdy kids in combat boots hanging out, like, in a, in a, in a coliseum. The, like, the administra- like, a bunch of, like, um, coaches in the administration we, like, came just walking up to our group. It was kind of scary. And they kept, like, pointing at their combat boots on to untuck them because, of, because that's how they wore them on Columbine. It was things like that, that like— there must have been a there must have been a
1: memo that went around j p because they did that to my buddy Eric oh really um yeah his brother his brother was a was in the, was a soldier and he had um given Eric like a legitimate pair of like army issue mm-hmm. or marine issue combat boots Eric was so proud of those combat boots and like same kind of thing he tucked his khakis into his combat boots because yeah. we had a uniform and uh and I remember um I remember the administration pulling him aside and saying, like, you've got to untuck those, you've got to untuck those, your pants out of your boots. Yeah. And him saying, like, why? And he's like, well, we told you to. He's like, I'm, I wasn't aware there was a rule book that said so that I couldn't have it this way. And he's like, well, we have a rule in the rule book that says that we're allowed to amend the rule book as we see fit. Right. And so I jumped in on that one with him. I was like, oh, so you guys can just write, that, make up whatever rules you want whenever you want them. And they're like, basically. And I'm like, yeah. By the way, um, uh, me and this kid, Eric, we're the only kind of like misfitty kids at that point. We listened to a lot of beastie boys. Hey, yes, um, nice. and, um, and we, um, I, he and I both every year, the new, the first day of school we spent, um, we spent the day reading through the new rule book, memorizing it so that we could <laughs> use it for our, for our, to our
0: advantage. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Got to know the rules, break the rules, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like that, that's, that's the kind of stuff that was, you know, and then they, 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 because column they came after our music. Yep. You know, um, I mean, I, and, oh, and I, trench coats, forget it. Just <laughs> like trench coats were a thing back then.
1: And the thing is, it's like it couldn't have been worse because that Columbine happened right around the time the Matrix was released, yeah, and like it was like Neo wears black and a black trench coat, and that was so badass.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, and and I I wasn't like um I didn't dress hardcore when I was a teenager. I wasn't nerd. I didn't I didn't have a fashion sense. My mom usually bought me preppy clothes, and I would wear the darkest ones. <laughs> like I would never wear the the bright stuff at all. I just yeah. want whatever's darker, whatever. And, um, but I was kind of quiet, you know, a, a, a little messy. And I was kind of, I like, spent most of the time scribbling a notebook and there's this kid in, in one of my English classes who just like every day he saw me as like, you're going to shoot up the school today, JP? Oh, you could just going to shoot up the school. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm, I don't even like guns. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I remember, um, on the anniversary of Columbine, um, there was all these major concerns. There was going to be like, there was going to be like copycat attacks at I schools. Know. And um, um, so my school gave us the option that said that if you guys, if your parents don't, you know, if they, if they feel unsafe, like sending their kids to school, it, like it's an excused absence, you better believe I took advantage of that crap. <laughs> um, I was like, I was like, mom, come on. She was like, yeah. So she was just like, yeah, whatever. So, Um, but I found out later, like years later that my, that a group of my friends were like, yeah, we were fully expecting you and Eric to come in and shoot up the school. Why? Why? I did door to door evangelism on Wednesdays. Like what made you think that I was, that I was like Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris? Like,
0: are you, are you for real? It's because they, even though they were psychopaths, they were into the same things we were, but they all thought that the things that we were into was what made them psychopaths.
1: And but they weren't. That's the thing, though. They weren't really into the stuff we were into. They took it. Well, I, I take it back. I I, I quite enjoyed Ramstein at that time.
0: Well, uh, I mean, from what uh, I've and heard... I heard,
1: I will say I started listening to Ramstein <laughs> because they listened to Ramstein and it pissed people off. <laughs> Did they listen to Ramstein? Oh. That's what I always heard. I heard because they they always they had said that. Um, um, there was the assumption that they listened to Marilyn Manson. Well,
0: that was um, the assumption. I've it, heard that like most of the music that people accused them of listening to, it's actually not true. They would have thought it was too mainstream. Yeah, they were not really. I, I but I think that they were really
1: into Rammstein, because even in, at the time, Rammstein was pretty like they weren't very mainstream in, in the U.S. Yeah,
0: that that one song Duhas. like? Is, and they idolize and they kind of idolized Hitler. So yeah, but uh, I, yeah, I think the reason why we're kind of getting into Columbine and our experience with that. Um, tragedy is, is because that is sort of what motivated the sort of uh, resistance against the left at the time. Right, right, right. And what kind of will lead to a punk rock mindset, which is like an idea of uh, uh, something is being taken away from me against my will. Uh, and it's and it not just something that's is being taken away from me, but like I am just living my life. I'm not harming anybody. I'm just doing one of my thing. And then someone saying, you're harming people by doing this, even though I'm not. And then that sort of leads yeah. to Well, and that's
1: the thing. I mean, again, again, malleability of punk is something worth talking about because, I mean, a great example of this is Joey and Didi Ramone of the Ramones. Right, like, yes. Could not be more opposite on the political spectrum.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, what know? do you mean by that? You, how, how are they pretty? Uh,
1: was uh, Joey? I'm trying to remember if it was Joey or Didi. I think Joey was the one he like – he like owned guns and he was a bit of, he was kind of sensitive to white supremacy and collected a bunch of Nazi memorabilia. Yeah. And, the, and then Dee was like very like socialist leftist kind of person. And they right. used to argue all the time about it. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the Ramones kind of had a split and all that oh, stuff. Yeah, but, I mean,
0: there, there were Nazi punks. Yeah. And that's, that's why the dead Kennedys made that one song that, uh, one great song, um, Nazi punk stuff off. Um, I, I, and there was also, I mean, there's also uh, our, our favorite film critic wrote, uh, who used to have his weekly column about punk rock. He actually wrote about uh, right-leaning, the right-leaning punk scene in the 80s. I don't know if you ever read any of that stuff. No, It's actually pretty cool. And that's the thing about punk it is there, there is an attitude that I don't think, I think, I think it's possible to take aggression out of punk.
1: I mean, I think uh, I think an anger at the system is in, is intrinsic to punk rock, um, but how you manifest that anger is, of course, a very is very different. Um, but but I don't know too because like I I, I thinking because I've been doing you know I'm very interested in, in history, music history, and stuff. I've and I've recently gotten into jazz, and like reading about jazz in the in the 50s, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or the 20s into the 50s is like, that's some really punk rock stuff right there. Like how people got mad, (laughs) mad that people like Coltrane and like Duke Ellington are like playing music. That's not like metered. Oh yeah. And like swing dance was like, yeah. Evil. And like, (laughs) and like, but the thing is, is like, they were making the music they wanted to make. There's no, there is no anger aggression necessarily in the music. Right. Right. The music, it's like, you know, you listen to, you listen to Duke Ellington. It's not angry music. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but what, but they continue to do it despite, you know, in spite of people getting really upset by it and like, you know, you know, prejudicing them, you know, for a number of reasons, but, um, and so I think, like, so maybe, maybe you have a point, JP, that like, it doesn't necessarily need to have the aggression, or like the aggression is a part of it. Maybe the anger is a part of it, but how it's expressed, it doesn't have to be like discordant, direct, chaotic, or like d- directed toward anybody. Or... Right, right. Um, I mean, you know, one of the, the hallmarks of of punk rock is do it yourself. Yeah. Um, is 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 that, and which also fits within a very conservative, you know, pull up, put yourself up by your bootstrap bootstrap, be self reliant kind of. Mindset. So, I mean, like, so you can see how this stuff, like, it is, like you say, it's very malleable. It can, it can fit in a lot of different pockets. Um, but getting back to the topic of Christian punk, I mean, I just think that the idea that, that all political systems are a pale imitation at best or are an attempt at usurping the reign of God. Mm Is, and so therefore your obligation is first your obligation is first to Jesus before it is to anyone else and that there are lots of political and economic systems that do not want you to make that choice um, to me is very very consistent with the punk mindset and that's that was a big piece of Tolstoy's work I mean Tolstoy was a famous Christian
0: anarchist right um I remember you and, wanted to talk more about him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I wish I knew more about Tolstoy. I just I'm very fascinated by his Christian anarchist. and um, uh, Dorothy Day. She was a Roman Catholic social worker and she was also a Christian anarchist. Um and 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 that manifested itself in this idea that the that the Christian Church, particularly the Church Catholic, is understood by the apostles and all that the the you know so the Catholic Orthodox type churches that that represents the only true and right and proper way of ordering one's life in the world Can't, for and that all other governments that all other go- So that's why you're anti-government because you're faithful only to the church and to, and to nothing else. And I'm, I'm that I am very, very like that's, yeah. I'll be honest. That's really more where I'm at. Is that, is mind. that pretty
0: much the definition of, of, Christian anarchy? Yeah. Interesting. One thought I had Chuck, cause you know, punk is, is malleable and uh, it's, it's kind of, you probably get a lot of disagreement that you know Christianity probably can't get, get, be punk because you know Christianity is a system and punk is against systems. Blah blah blah. We've already covered that. Covered that ad nauseum. But would it be more appropriate to compare Christianity to um, metal?
1: That's interesting.
0: Um, because when I think of metal, like I don't think of it as very punk is a bit complex. And it's a bit, uh, you know, whatever you bring to it. Metal is just sort of like, it's singular. It looks like this. It sounds like this. Right? And then huh, maybe a- maybe there are parts of Christianity, like, I've always said the Book of Revelation is really metal. Oh my gosh, is it metal? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, there's a reason why like the themes and, and imagery of the Book of Revelation are. If you listen to a lot of Black Sabbath, early Black Sabbath, you hear a lot of
0: it, <laughs> yeah. Or you know anything by yeah, uh, I, was, I was about to say anything by Dio, but Dio was also Black Sabbath. I'm right. not. I'm not that well versed in metal, admittedly.
1: Um, um, well, it's interesting you mentioned this too, because um, a number of metal acts have like some pretty committed Christians in them. Yeah. Like I know, I've mentioned a few times that I am fascinated by the fact that the drummer of Iron Maiden is um, is a parishioner or is a member at Spanish River Church around the corner from us here. Yeah, which is an evangelical megachurch. Um, um, you know, um, a Slayer. So I think I think I think one of the guys in Slayer is like a Catholic. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing um, what you when you when you start scratching the service of of the different like religious folks that are in these metal bands. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I can see that. I mean, I remember um there was a guy who was a drummer who started going to my church in Orlando when I was a kid, the Baptist church I grew up in, and um um he invited me to come over to his record he me and my and his, me and another friend to go over to his recording studio and jam one night and um, which was really cool it's the first time I ever like jammed. Um nice. And um, over at his like practice space. And we got to talking and he was like, cause he was, you know, so I was talking about church cause he's relatively new to the church. And that's what he was thinking about, you know, uh, what's he feel about it, whatever. And he's like, dude, he's like, he's like, I gotta tell you, man, I don't know if you ever pay attention to it. He's like, but the lyrics of your hymns are metal. <laughs> he's like, you guys are singing hymns about like fountains filled with blood covering you. And like, he's like, dude, that is some metal stuff. I never thought about it. And then after that, I was like, oh yeah, dude, like some of these Baptist hymns are metal. <laughs> So maybe you have a point.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because I feel like uh, the church, at least in America, has been more scared and more like at war with metal than with like punk.
1: Yeah, And I think it's because punk-
0: metal uses a lot of the same imagery as the church. Only, and, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of focus on the devil and stuff.
1: Yeah, lots of crosses. Um, and of I, course, I, I, I could- the horns. The horns, which is actually, you know, the history of the horns, right?
0: Yeah, I I, I heard this week that uh, Dio, um, yeah, or, or Gene Simmons is trying to trademark the the ho- the horns. I believe, but Rodney 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 James Dio like
1: invented it, or oh, well, didn't yeah. invent it. He 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 popularized it. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's like a demon warding gesture from his like Roma grandmother or something. Yeah,
0: I I watched I watched a YouTube video this week. It was on it was on Reddit. And it was Dio talking about how, like, when he was a little boy, his, his grandma would take him to the market and stuff. And whenever she, she would see someone she didn't like, whatever, she she gave them what's called the maloic or the evil lie. And she'd go, throw up the horns at them. And they would throw it right back at her. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> and, and it's awesome. used to kind of, it was supposed to, like, ward off, like, the evil lie. Yeah. You know? um, which is sort of like a, um, you see it a lot, like, in Mediterranean cultures and stuff, the evil Right, the, right. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's called like with it. But then he integrated it into his, his shows and stuff, and he started just throwing it up. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, supposedly, yeah, Dio is the one that's supposed to do it. But, like, lately, Gene Simmons from Kiss has been claiming that he started it. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, he's been trying to get a patent on it
1: recently. Kiss is one of those bands that I, like, I went through a phase and then just, I did, no. too. <laughs> I was just really fascinated by the theatrics of them and then it's just like ugh ugh, yeah. goodness, gross
0: but I I think I mean the you know I I've, I've thought about it some this I haven't researched it but I think about it like I'm just like metal I think Christianity is just I think it goes well with metal like really really well with it <laughs> because uh it's not um you know it's yeah, not necessarily I mean, anti-establishment it's not really it's it's which whatever you bring to it really uh, but it's, it's mostly just, I don't know. There's, this just, it's kind of pageantry, right? Well, there's pageantry, but I mean, I think, I mean, when it comes to the heart of it,
1: JPM politically, politically, the church is meant to be constituted as an alternative society. Right. And so that to me is like where, where like I see the, I see more of the punk rock connections in the church okay. in terms of its politics. Um, so I don't know, maybe, so let's say if it's, if it's. If it's the politics of punk with the aesthetics of metal, I don't know. Does that make it speed metal? Is <laughs> it speed metal? <laughs> Definitely not, not hair ba- metal. Is, is it baby metal? <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> that's a that's a Japanese pop group. By the way, just complete side note, I mentioned this to Kana the other day, and she was like, "What do you mean baby metal?" I was like, "All right, pull up. We're driving the cars. Like pull up on YouTube. Type in baby metal. You ha- on Colbert. You have to watch this." She was into it.
0: <laughs> really? That's funny. Yeah, she's like, I don't, I don't want to stop. This is kind of incredible. When you first mentioned baby metal to me, I, I thought, she, I thought it was like, like the kids, like kids bop or something, like <laughs> which would even be better. I think. <laughs> <laughs> kids bop metal. Yeah. Yes. So that I mean, did you know that? Did you know they dig Evanescence songs? Kids bop did. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude.
1: <laughs> dude, if you look at. If you look at this kids bop there are songs in there that they have no business <laughs> no business children listen to um actually I think cracked a few years ago did a whole thing on like or you can find it online with cracked somewhere I, I read about it where it's like the lyric changes that kids bop made actually is like I've, worse I've heard, of
0: that. I've heard of that yeah yeah I've heard of that <laughs> you know what's funny there is a there is a group that kind of took the idea of kids bop and like like kind of double down on it called, um, Oh, what are they called? Crap. I don't know, but they, it's basically like a children's choir and you've probably heard it in a few movie trailers lately. Cause they kind of been doing the whole like slow down, eerie versions of music. Uh... So it's like a, a children's choir version of like Metallica's nothing else matters. It's on the zero doc 30 trailer. And then they did okay. one, they did one for, for a Romstein song called angel. It's really creepy. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty cool.
1: Get, complete complete tangent where we're on right now i think we've pretty much wrapped up this episode i just yeah i just got to say when i watched the trailer for geostorm <laughs> and I that haven't watched it yet by the way you haven't watched it yet no Oh, um, as soon as we get done with this you have to watch this because okay. you know the song right um no oh it's i kind of don't want to spoil it for you okay but
0: We'll watch it after the episode. That's fine. Oh
1: my gosh, I every time because it played before Wonder Woman. So every time I went to go see Wonder Woman, or both times went to see Wonder Woman, it played. I could not contain myself from laughing out loud. At oh gosh, okay. Anyway, because uh, it's got <laughs> it's got one of those slowed down. Things. Okay,
0: cool. Um, well, uh, do you have any final thoughts, Chuck? On uh, I mean, what do you want to say about Christian Punk that? Uh...
1: I mean, I, I, you know I, I, this was kind of an interesting episode because I think initially I just wanted to talk about bands, oh. but I think we actually wound up getting into the. But then later on, I, I was more interested in in, in actually the, the the ideas of the, the ideas of punk and how it relates to the church. I, I, so I don't have any any final thoughts. I'm okay. just I really like the direction we took this personally. Cool. Um, I will say though that in preparation, I did end up listening to a lot of old punk. Um, Christian punk that I had um yeah. that I had not listened to in a while you know I, I I bought MXPX's Pocanacha again um and um, I I I listened to Blenderhead which is another Christian punk band that's pretty interesting um and dude I was listening to it and I was just transported back to 1994 and just what was going on back in the day at that time and like it just made me really happy nice it just made me happy cuz I I think i think that's when i found myself a little bit oh yeah I, yeah i think that's when i when i just when i when i was like this is this is who i am is you know i i kind of ex- embraced the fact that i was a misfit and oh. punk even though it was christian punk Help solidify that for me. Um, well, if- so, it's, it's been, so it's been a consistent, I mean, I just kind of thinking about my whole life. It's been very consistent throughout my life. I've been, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of consistently done the thing that people don't expect me to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even though it brought me to this place where, you know, to some people like to, to address um, professor Athey's comment, he says, I'm the man. I don't think I'm the man. Um, if I were the man, I would be. I think if I were the man, I would be sporting a goatee with some spiky hair in front of a giant <laughs> mega church. Um, the fact that I'm the priest, um, where I'm at, um, I think says I'm not the man that I'm. You know, I'm. Yeah. You know, for me, it's following the call of what God has had me to do, and it's taking me places where it's been sometimes confrontational and sometimes counterintuitive. And I, I don't know. So I, I see a consistency. It's. Yeah, like I said, I, even though I drove over here driving my really nice Buick car, and um, after put my kids to sleep after having a nice dinner, a uh, sushi dinner for Father's Day, it doesn't sound very punk, and that's fine. But I don't know, maybe in a weird way, it's the most punk thing that there is.
0: Maybe, and maybe punk has uh, got you where you are today, and maybe that's yeah. the point of it. Yeah. Um, Chuck, if if uh, we have some listeners who are sort of interested in getting into Christian punk but don't know where to start, well, what would you recommend to them?
1: Uh, I mean, uh, Pokonacha MXPX is sort of the, the that was like the, that was really the seismic thing. That's when it that's when it really introduced Christians to punk music in a lot of ways. Um, but if you're going to listen to an MXPX album um, from a, of that time period, I would say their second album, uh, Teenage Politics, is a better pick. Um, there it's the, the, the true lineup cause they had a different guitarist with Poconacha. So the Mike, Tom and Yuri, um, were together for teenage politics. Um, and I think that's probably the, 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 the perfect encapsulation of what they are in their music. Um, if you want some really like gutter punk, um, there's a band called 90 pound wuss that's worth checking out. Um, and, um, I meant uh, to check them out. I, I, took, I yeah, completely forgot. That is some, that is some ugly gutter punk is what that is. <laughs> um, their Blenderhead has about three albums out, um, and I it, it, interesting. They're named after a, b- a Bad Religion song. Um, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty and, punk. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. I gotta say, I never really listened to them much when I was a kid, but I listened to them um, recently, and it, it brought back a, a whole flood of things. I mean, there's a song on their on their on their album called um, "Prime Candidate for Burnout," which is their first album. That um, a song called Purgatory, and it's the whole thing is is like it's basically to the effect of like it must be exhausting being popular. and like that's why i don't want to be popular and it just ah that just brought it back to me man like just sitting there in high school and just saying like yeah that was me like i don't want to be i don't yeah like i don't i don't want to be a poser and that's really what the song's about is not being a poser (laughs) nice it's so this thing it's like you can look just like all the other kids on the shelf
0: what a great line (laughs) poser uh word probably lost on most of our audience but that's okay look it up wikipedia That's great. Awesome. Uh, Go listen to those. uh, My personal recommendations uh, I would recommend Skyline Drive. Um, (laughs) I would recommend a little band called Addison. Uh, I enjoy Addison. (laughs) maybe Pedro (laughs) Isamante. I'm going to tell you right
1: now, Pedro Isamante, absolute punk rock. (laughs) Pedro Isamante was definite punk rock. Uh, That, for those who don't know, that is, that is my band um, from, from college. Uh, We actually did put, if you look, scroll through our timeline, you will see a couple of our songs, but they're the acoustic (laughs) versions, not the full band versions, but, um, I, I will stand by that Pedro Bustamante was – it might not have been the three-chord progression punk rock that you think of, like the aesthetic punk rock, but the
0: mindset was absolute punk rock. <laughs> totally. Great. Well, uh, that's all the time we have. Uh, we're going to end it there. Um, thank you so much for listening. Chuck, thank you for uh, making it out to to record yes. and to be present and yes. to help make an episode. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, just That's this i passive aggressive <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and join us next week and have an awesome week Good journey Good journey double hearts Robot. my